Thank you. Um, Lake Springfield Christian Assembly is our church camp. Uh, we love our camp. It's just 25 minutes from our camp. That Berlin Church pays for 50% of, of one week of camp uh, for your kids. So just take advantage of that opportunity too. And there's some scholarship codes and things like that that we can help you with. Uh, Michael has that information as well. So we want to send uh, lots of kids out to the camp. It's not just a summer thing. It is all year long. There's midwinter retreat this weekend, which some of our high schoolers are going to be out there this weekend. So I want to invite you to pray for them as well. Uh, but we're just thankful for our camp. And I'm just thankful that we've been able to highlight some of our ministries this, this year already. We've talked about inner city mission. We've talked about Asia Pacific International. This month we're focusing our attention at Lake Springfield Christian Assembly. So I want to pray for our camp. And then I want to preach the word. How, we, how about that? Father in heaven, uh, we want to ask your blessing over uh, Lake Springfield Christian Assembly. I want to say thank you for providing for them. Uh, it's been challenging times for uh, nonprofit organizations like the camp. Uh, so I just want to say thank you for seeing them through this season. I pray uh, that you provide for that pool uh, and that that would be a, a safe and, and healthy experience and just a fun time for, for generations coming. Uh, Lord, we want to pray for uh, Kerma and Hannah and the team and the, the executive board of the camp that you would guide them with wisdom and that you'd surround them with godly counsel. And Lord, I pray that camp will be a safe place for all people to, to experience you and experience life change. So we want to say thank you for the partnership that we have with our camp and help us to stay connected with one another and that others can get connected with you, King Jesus. Help us, Lord, as we open up your word today. May we experience you and the wonderful things that you have for us in your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to just welcome you in the building. Uh, it's so good to see some faces we haven't seen for a while. Welcome back. For those of you who are joining online or listening on the phones, thank you for joining us in this moment of time as well. I came today to say one thing. Disciples of Jesus do what he says. That's a sermon in a sentence. Disciples of Jesus do what he says. And it's going to be in the Gospel of Luke where we're going to spend our time today. And I need to qualify that because if you remember, if you were here last week, either listening or watching, uh, I talked about how there's some approaches to God that are not as productive. We talked about life under God, how we feel like we've got to try and earn God's favor and he's, you know, we've got to try and manipulate some things with him and we've got to be careful about that. We don't want to have life over God where we just go to the Bible for strategy and principles and we kind of tell God what to do. We don't want to be in that frame. We've got to guard against life uh, from God, where we just kind of view God as a slot machine where if I do a good thing, so he's going to shower out the blessings and we've got to watch out for life for God, where we just try and work our way to heaven. No, we are to have life with God. So when I say disciples of Jesus do what he says, what I want us to do is to anchor into the heart of Jesus. And if you just really love Jesus, you're going to do what he tells you to do. And as I was studying last fall through the gospel of Luke, I was out at the camp actually for, for a, a good chunk of time reading through Luke's gospel. And I just wanted to find out when Jesus is talking with people, and specifically the disciples, when Jesus and, and people are together, what happens? 
And that's been the product of our series this spring of disciples of Jesus. We're in this journey with Jesus. And so I wanted to just say, you know, what's going on when Jesus and disciples hang out? What are they doing? And I noticed on a handful of times where Jesus just says something to them, and then Luke gives us this little phrase, and they did it. And I would read a little bit more, and Jesus would say something, and then Luke says, and they did it. And I just thought, that's kind of simple. And sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll read through the story, and we'll miss that little phrase, and they did it. So my goal for today is to look at four stories from Luke's gospel where the disciples just do what he says to do. And maybe we might find some motivation and some guidance where we could listen to Jesus and do what he tells us to do. Are you ready? Luke chapter 5 is our first story. Chapter 5, verses 27 and following. Uh, We meet this guy named Levi. And in, in Levi, uh, he's, he's, has this interaction with Jesus. So I want to just read this, this story, and we're just, I just want to kind of read the Bible and just tell some stories today. That's going to be what we're going to do. And so Luke 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. Some of the, one of the Gospels calls him Matthew. Mark and Luke call him Levi. Maybe the same guy, not sure. We're going to call him Levi because that's who Luke calls him. Levi is sitting at his tax booth. So this is a tax collector. He's not a chief tax collector like you'd meet Zacchaeus in chapter 19, but he's still a tax collector. And Jesus says to Levi, follow me. Verse 28, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. That's kind of what's happening. Follow me, and he does it. Now we're going to have a sermon just on follow here in a few weeks. But this is just, he gets up and follows. The next part, though, is what caught my attention. Verse 29, I was studying it this week. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. The word held, a great banquet, is due. He did a great banquet. It's just a simple word, due. And so I underline, if you want to, follow along with me today. I might just underline that word, Levi held, held a great banquet. Some translations say he gave a great banquet. This is the word do. We find it 88 times in Luke's gospel. A lot of times it's do or does or did or doing. But sometimes it's make or held or give or gave or bear as in bear fruit. There's even one time it says shrewdly. The, the, the honest, the shrewd servant in Luke 16. And so I just want you to look as you're reading through the Gospel of Luke this spring, look for times where you just run across people doing something or making something or giving something. It might be this same word. And so Levi does a great banquet, holds a great banquet, and this captured my attention this week, for Jesus. So maybe we should just think about how we could hold a party for Jesus. Some of you are like, hey, I like parties. So just throw a party for Jesus. This is a simple choice that Levi makes. He's following Jesus, leaves everything, and the first thing we see him doing is having a banquet or a great feast. You read through Luke's gospel, he really likes food. This could be the American gospel because we like our food too, don't we? Just pay attention when you're reading through Luke. There's lots of times where there's feasts, there's food, there's table fellowship. And so we're going to get back to this in a minute, but I want to just read the story a little bit further out. 
So he holds a great banquet for Jesus at his house. A large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat with and drink with tax collectors and sinners? We'll see that later on in Luke 15. Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. I wonder if Luke's ears perked up when he heard that because he was a doctor. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So the first thing that Levi does after he leaves everything and follows Jesus is he throws a great banquet. So sometimes a, a simple choice, a simple act can lead to celebration. And so let's just kind of think through Levi for a second. You're going to give a party. What, what's, what, let's just think about it. We're going to party. What do we need to do? Well, who's going to come to this party? Isn't that kind of one of the first things to think about? So we got to get a guest list, or we got to figure out how are we going to invite people. Levi, probably not going to send text messages out to people. Are we going to make these fancy paper invitations? Are we going to call people? Is it going to be word of mouth? Is it going to be a social media post? How are we going to invite people to our party? That's the first thing. So you need to decide who's coming. Then the second question is what? What are we going to eat? I mean, let's be honest. If you've got a party, we've got to have something to eat. And so you start saying, okay, are we doing cake and punch and the little mints with the little thingies that you push down into them, the molds? Are you going to do that? Are we going to do finger foods? Are we going to pulled pork? Are we going to have like a meal? What's the menu? We've got to figure this out if we're having this great banquet in Luke's gospel here. And so you got your food picked out and you decide, is this finger foods? Are we going to sit down? Are we doing paper plates? Are we going to get out the fine china? What kind of tablecloths? Are we going to have the cloth tablecloths or is it that plasticky stuff. What are we going to do? So these are all things that we have to figure out. Okay, so you got your guest list, you got your food. Next part, you got to think about where's the party going to be? We have to have a venue. Isn't that kind of the new thing? We need a venue. Okay, it's just a place. We're going to have this thing, okay? And we find out where does Levi give his party? Where is it? At his house, which means what? we got to clean the house. So they're like, hey, we should go to the venue, okay. All right, so got to clean the house. So the simple choice that Levi said, I want to throw a party for Jesus, has kind of grown into something a little bit more. And so he's going to clean his house. Levi had money. You remember he had He was a tax collector, so he had some wealth. But it says that he left everything to follow Jesus, much like those fishermen did in Luke 5. But maybe he had some help to clean house. Simple choice, small acts can lead to celebration. What's that look like for us? How can we celebrate for Jesus? How can we throw a party for Jesus? Well, our calendars give us a few times every year, don't they? Like Christmas and Easter's coming up. We just began Lent this week, that season of penance and preparation for Easter. So how can you celebrate Jesus this coming Easter and maybe invite some tax collectors and sinners to celebrate with you? I still keep thinking that down the road here in Jacksonville, there's Illinois College, and they've got lots of international students. 
And I keep asking, I wonder if any of you, maybe I need to step the example, what would it look like if we invited someone from a different country to our home? Because it's kind of hard to go back to Pakistan for spring break. What would it look like if we invited an international student into our home to celebrate Easter, throw a party for Jesus? That could be one way you could do that. If that interests you, I've got someone who works there that could help us. And so maybe think about what that would look like, throw a party for Jesus, invite some people to come. But we talk about baptisms, that'd be a great time to throw a party for Jesus, you know, birthdays, anniversaries, all kinds of different celebrations. In fact, we're just months away, a couple months actually, from a high school graduation in our family, and the preparations have started for the party. So sometimes simple acts can lead to celebration got a camp story. I was on church camp team for Ozark Christian College. We went to nine weeks of church camp in one summer. I did that for three summers in a row. That's one way I paid for college. And so we were able to go to these church camps all summer long. It was a really wonderful experience. And at one week of high school camp, we met a, a girl named Carrie. Carrie was not a follower of Jesus at the start of the week, but she heard the good news of Jesus, and she heard how Jesus loved her, and I think she may have even heard this story, that I taught, the Levi story. At the end of the week, she gives her life to Jesus. She says, I want to be baptized. I can't remember if we baptized her at camp or if she went home and was baptized. But weeks later, this tells you the era, you know, she, we got a letter from, from Carrie. You know, nowadays they would have text messaged us, you know, or whatever, Snapchat or whatever. So weeks later, we got this card from, one of, from Carrie to one of our teammates. And she said, I've, I've been baptized, and I threw a party for my friends. Sometimes small acts can lead to celebration. Disciples of Jesus just do what he says. That's in chapter 5. You go to chapter 6, verse 6, we see another story where someone encounters Jesus and he just does what he asks, does what Jesus tells him to do. Luke chapter 6, verse 6. On another Sabbath, that's the, the holy day of rest and worship for the Jews, on another Sabbath, Jesus went into a synagogue, that would have been their worship gathering where they would have read from their Bible, the Hebrew Bible, and they would hear teaching. And so Jesus was teaching. And a man who was there whose hand, right hand was shriveled. So he's got a deformed hand. Verse 7, The Pharisees and teachers of law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So again, we got some controversies with these leaders, don't we? And they're looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. Verse 8, but Jesus knew what they were thinking. I love that about Jesus. And he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand in front of everyone. Is that very hard? Could you stand up? Yeah, if I asked you to stand up right now, most of you could probably do that. You might get cranky with me, but you would. I'm not asking you to do that. But this guy's aren't, he's got a bad hand. His legs aren't broken. He can stand up. He could do that. Now, it might be a little embarrassing. Just imagine being at church and the preacher calls you and just says, stand up. That'd be a little, I mean, you'd be a little shy, wouldn't it? Okay, but here's what he does. So he got up and stood there. Disciples of Jesus just do what he says. Verse 9, then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked around at them all and he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. 
Is that hard to do? I mean, I, if he's got a bad hand, but I, it sounds like it's just the hand, not the arm. Physically, probably not hard to do. Emotionally, you want to show everybody in the world your bad hand? Might be a little ashamed to do that. But here's our word. He did so. So if you underline the word held in, in 529, he, Levi held a great banquet, you might want to underline this word, he did so. I love Luke, he just gives it, he just did it. So we got this guy, stands up in the middle of church, holds his hands out, that's what Jesus told him to do. So you got this gnarly, dried up, shriveled hand, and he's just stretching it out. And he did so. And then Luke says, and his hand was completely restored. And I don't know what that looked like. If it was in the moment there, I don't know. But Jesus heals this guy's hand is what it looks like to me. So sometimes small acts can lead to healing. Sometimes. And so stand up, not that hard. Stretch out your hand, not that hard. Some things going on in here that could make it hard. But just got to trust the guy who's asking you to do it. And he receives some healing makes me think back to the Old Testament story of Elisha and Naaman. You might remember this from, from the book of 2 Kings. And he's got leprosy all over him. And they say, hey, there's a holy man that can help you. And he goes all the way down to meet Elisha. And Elisha, go down the Jordan River and dunk seven times. And Elisha's kind of cranky. He's like, I came all this way, and you're telling me just to go take a bath? And that Jordan River, I've been there. It's kind of muddy. And his servant's like, hey, if he would ask you to do a hard thing, wouldn't you have done it? It's not that hard to just go get in the water and just jump up and down. And so he says he does it, and he's clean. Sometimes small acts can lead to healing. So this man stretches his hand out, completely restored. Verse 11, though, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, they were furious, and they began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Small acts can lead to healing. What's Jesus calling you to do? How's he wanting you to stretch out your hand? Does he want us to stretch out our hand maybe to someone? Is there some healing that needs to take place with some relationships? And maybe by stretching out your hand, extending an offer of peace, God could bring healing. That'd be one way to think about it. So one way small acts can lead to celebration. Sometimes small acts can, not always will, but can lead to healing. We'll skip chapter six and or chapter seven, and we're going to go to chapter eight for our next story. Chapter eight, twenty-two. Now this word I gotta just let you know, this isn't the same word for do that we saw in the other ones, but I think the principle's still there. Our next story. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So it's like, uh, hey, let's go have a boat ride. How many of you guys like boat rides? I love, I think it's fun. I think it's fun to go get on a boat. They do. I just like the water. Camp's a great way to do it. They got lots of cool watercraft. You can enjoy a boat. So you can picture, going to Lake Springfield, Christian Assembly, say, let's go over to the marina. Okay? And so Jesus says, let's go over to the other side of the boat. Verse, the last part of verse 22. So they got into a boat and set out. So I underlined set out. It's not the same word from our other ones, but it's the, print, the, the idea is like, 
let's do it. And they got in the boat and set out. Now, is it very hard? Now, remember, some of these guys are fishermen. They know how to run boats. And would it be very hard to get in a boat and do one of these things with the rope, undo it from the, pier, from the post, push off, might have to hoist up a sail, might have been a sailboat, put out the oars. Is that hard to do? No, especially if you want to go on a boat ride. That's not that hard. Sometimes Jesus doesn't ask us to do hard things. Sometimes it's the small things that are the most difficult. And so it says, yeah, they got in the boat. They just did. They set out. And as they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. Do you know that Jesus slept? I think it's important that we know that, that Jesus fell asleep. Now remember, we believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. I don't know how he pulled that off. But him falling asleep seems to think that maybe he got tired. It also looks like in a minute we're going to find out he's kind of a hard sleeper. And maybe he doesn't get too worried about things because if you're able to sleep, you're pretty relaxed, aren't you? Peaceful. And so he's in this boat. And I don't know if I've been in a boat long enough to where I could fall asleep. Maybe I have. I can't remember. But he's asleep in the boat. A squall came down on the lake. Sea of Galilee's down below sea level. You've got mountains on each side, and so there's some funky winds that can come through there. And so the weather changes. A squall comes down the lake so that the boat was being swamped. They were in great danger. Remember, these are fishermen who knew how to do this. The disciples, verse 24, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the waves and they obey him. Sometimes small acts can lead to challenges. Sometimes you just do the simple things, like just pushing a boat out from water, and then you realize, whoa, I got bored and I bargained for into this thing. Sometimes following Jesus, you just step in. And aren't you kind of glad that Jesus didn't unfold everything for you? Because you're like, if I knew it was going to be this hard, I don't know if I would have started this thing. But he starts out and they get in, but then they also realize there's someone in this boat that can take care of us. And they ask the question, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So as we think about how we can do these small acts for God and life with God, we need to remember who is asking us to do them. And it's the one who watches over the wind and the waves and watches over his people. I wonder if the disciples were thinking about some of the Psalms. The Psalms talk a lot about raging waters. There's a Psalm, Psalm 65, verses 5 through 8. Psalm 65, 5 through 8. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of all the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. Have you heard any turmoil in the nations this week? There's someone who can bring peace to all of that. 
His name is Jesus. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. Where morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. Sometimes small acts are going to lead to challenges. I'll be honest, following Jesus is hard. But just remember who's leading you. King Jesus, who can still the waves. And God's got a pretty good track record of leading his people through water. You think about Noah and his family. He wanted a lot more people on that boat, I think. Led him through the flood. Moses and, and the children of Israel, God took them through the Red Sea. A generation later, God took Joshua and the priests, and they had to step foot in the water first before it started piling up the road, up the way. And they walked through on dry ground. And even God took care of a reluctant sleeping prophet named Jonah and rescued him from the water. Sometimes small acts can lead to challenges. But remember who's with you. Fourth story. Next chapter, Luke chapter 9, verse 12. Luke chapter 9, verse 12. This is the context from last week we talked a little bit about. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to Jesus and said, Send the crowds away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. Verse 13, he replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, Luke tells us about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so. So there's where you can underline that word. Verse 15, the disciples did so. Much like Levi did a great banquet, much like the, the guy with the shriveled hands held out his hand, these disciples did what Jesus asked. And everyone sat down, taking the five loaves, the two fish, looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I read this story with our junior high kids Wednesday night right here in the sanctuary and just was trying to feel them out. What's going on here? What do you think is going on here? And so Luke tells us 5,000 people, 5,000 men. You add women and children. I'm picturing the population of Jacksonville, Illinois. I don't know. And he's saying, I want you to get those 5,000 men plus, can you imagine trying to round up 100 toddlers and having them sit down in groups of 50? Let's just think through this for a second. Sit them down in groups of 50. When's the last time you've gotten 5,000 people together and you put them in groups of 50? This may be a little more difficult than we think. And we just blow past it because it just says, and the disciples did it. There's no megaphone, there's no PA system, and they're trying to wrangle things up. And I bet you that the tax collector's saying, okay, 5,000 people, groups of 50, we got 100 groups here. And so there's 12 of us, so we basically have a, you know, 10 groups each. And they start doing the math, and it took, so, it took a while. So it's been a little bit harder than getting the boat out in the water. Probably a lot harder than just stretching out your hand. Maybe not quite as much work as the party that Levi threw, but there was some work. And they just did what Jesus asked them to do. And they had a front row seat to watch a miracle. 
And I don't know how Jesus did that, but five loaves, two fish, gives thanks to God, looks to heaven, breaks it, gives it to them. And I don't know if it was in the breaking that it multiplied. I don't know if it's in the basket where they just keep pulling and, and that it just it never ran out, but they all had enough to eat. And they had 12 baskets full of leftovers. Sometimes small acts can lead to satisfaction. So they were all... They all ate and were satisfied. So it's possible just some of the small things we do with Jesus can bring satisfaction, fulfillment, completeness. Jesus said it in the, in the Sermon on the Plain, in, in Luke 6, 21, Blessed are those who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. I want you to think about what's God calling you to do this week. Some small acts. Throwing a party, stretching out your hand, pushing a boat out, doing a little crowd control. But when Jesus is there leading it, it's going to turn out pretty good. Little things can make a big difference. I want you to think about some of the little things and how God can make a big difference. In 1979, there was a, a, fl- a flight from New Zealand to Antarctica. It was one of those sightseeing tours of Antarctica, 1979. Flight 901. And the pilots are experienced pilots, but they have never done this route before. And they did not realize that their navigation system was off by two degrees. Two degrees, they're off. And so they're flying, in which, of course, they think they're on, And they're two degrees off, which leads them 28 miles off course. 28 miles, you're going over Antarctica. Is that going to be a big deal? Well, they come out of the clouds, and they're on a direct course for Mount Erebus, a volcano that sticks 12,000 feet up above sea level. And they crashed into that, and all 257 people died because of a two-degree error in navigation. And in flights they say there's this rule of 1 to 60. For every 1 degree off, every 60 miles you travel, you're going to be a mile off course. You go 120 miles, you're going to be off 2 miles. And so they got 28 miles off course, and it was tragic. But the same is true, too. Just 1 degree difference can also add to life. And I just want to ask us, what's one little small course correction we could make today as followers of Jesus, as people who want to experience what God's leading us, what's that one degree course correction we could make this week? What's that look like for you? Something small that Jesus said, you should do that. Making, making the phone call, putting your Bible somewhere where you're going to see it, to where you can get into it regularly, praying with your wife, leading your kids, praying with them before they go off to school. What's that look like? One little degree difference. There's one more time where this word do shows up in Luke's gospel. Remember, there's 88 times. The 88th time, Luke chapter 23. Jesus hanging on a cross between two criminals. He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They don't know what they're doing. I don't know if he's talking about the Romans, because they knew what they were doing to how to kill people. I don't know if it was the crowds, but it was something to the fact that they probably didn't know who they were putting on that cross. And we have the privilege to be on this side of the cross, this side of the empty tomb. We know who Jesus is. 
And I think the deeper we have an understanding of Jesus, the, the easier it's going to be for us to do those small little steps to follow him. Remember, disciples of Jesus do what he says. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you for your unfailing love. Thank you for leading us with your word today. And I pray that you would give us a, a vision of what a small act done over a lifetime could do for your kingdom to advance. Help us to embrace your grace and your love and your forgiveness. We ask for your healing and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. As we prepare for our time of communion, I want to let you know that if God's stirring in your heart, you want to know.